Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. Without further ado, we'll jump back into chapter eight. Does anybody remember anything we talked about on Tuesday? Anything we'll do. We talked about... Yep, we talked about um. (laughs) And business environments. Bravo. Birthday boy gets two points. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, we did talk about several things, and I'm just going to do a brief recap. Um, We talked about two guys. Henry Fail, he had this idea that you should only report to one manager and in turn should have the right to give, uh, that who has the right to give orders uh, and others to follow and the power to enforce them, meaning that, yeah, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to write you up or terminate you out and find somebody that will do what needs to happen. But there was somebody else we talked about, Max Weber. Max Weber promoted an organizational structure composed of middle managers who implement the orders of top managers. He believed less educated workers were best managed if supervisors gave them strict rules and regulations to follow and monitor their performance. So who was it? You said your mom worked at Amazon, correct? Yes. Did she ever have any type of monitoring, like, or they monitor her motions in the warehouse? Right. I think Amazon workers now, I may be mistaken, but I've read articles where, like, you know how your phone has a GPS on it? Like... They monitor where you move around in the warehouse. I know that they weren't supposed to go to other areas. Right. Sure. So, like, if you're assigned to do this job and you're supposed to be in this box of area, yeah, you're supposed to just stay inside that box area and not deviate from that. And if you deviate from that to go to the bathroom, you know, that you need need to go to, then you get penalized for that. So, isn't that crazy? I mean, it's. what do you guys think about that level of control? Over people. Excessive. Sounds excessive, yeah. I think OSHA would have a field day. Think who? I think OSHA would have a field OSHA day. would have a field day. There's been a ton of complaints about working conditions in Amazon warehouses. I've heard very sketchy and uncomfortable stories about people actually using the bathroom in bags and different things in these areas just because they were told they couldn't couldn't leave and go to the restroom and stuff like that. Once again, this is unsubstantiated, but I've, I've read articles that cite these things. So I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, if you, once you start dehumanizing people, that even though efficiency, you might be doing it in the name of efficiency, it leads to real problems, you know. You should always treat people with respect and human dignity. So um, I, haven't, I haven't met many people that are long-tenured in Amazon warehouses. We actually have somebody that works here that's a former warehouse uh, worker from Amazon and did, does not have nice things to say about it. So, um, But not that I'm picking on Amazon because I love Amazon, but uh, as consumers, we have to demand them to improve. You know, We want them to have good working conditions. And so this gets into new stuff that we're going to talk about today. God, this the the... Henry Fail and Max Weber were just kind of setting the pretense for where this management theory stuff comes from because it does have a genesis. And so when following Fail and Weber's uh, manager control workers, there's these things called hierarchies, chain of command, and organizational charts. 
A hierarchy is a system in which one person is at the top of an organization and there is a ranked or sequential ordering from the top down. And we'll look at some hierarchies here, but most of you have an idea of what this is. This, co this college is a hierarchy. This country is a hierarchy. We have a president, vice president, and other uh, chain of command that we go through. The military is a hierarchy. You have the chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and you've got the different divisions of the military, generals, colonels, majors, all the way down, you know, through the ranks. And so um, why do you think hierarchy is a good system to use? Why do you think that is an effective model? It's it's a simple structure, yeah, in, in principle, because like I know my boss is Brian Worley, right, right down the hall from here, and Brian Worley reports to one boss, Dr. Mark David, and Dr. David reports to one boss, Dr. Vern Linquist, and so we have a chain of command. I don't need to go talk to Dr. Linquist about very little things because that would be going outside of my chain of command and be disrespectful to Brian and Dr. David. So I need to communicate with Brian the things I need to make, make, make happen for my team. And then he needs to communicate to Dr. David, and then Dr. David needs to communicate to Dr. Linquist. And you have that one-up, one-down communication. makes things very efficient and simple. Because if everybody talked to everybody, then anything that... Like, let's say that I reported to all three of those persons. Every day I talk to Dr. Linquist, Dr. David, and Brian. Well, Dr. Linquist is the highest-ranking official on this campus, so that would, if he told me to do something, I would probably ignore Dr. David and Brian, and that, at the end of the day, makes it, well, if I'm not listening to anything they say, what authority do they have? They have none. And so this idea of that one-up, one-down hierarchy is important, and we'll look at hierarchies throughout the rest of this chapter today. Chain of command, that's exactly what I was just talking about, the line of authority that moves from the top of the organization to the lowest level. An organizational chart is a visual device that shows relationships among people and divides the organization, uh, organization works. It shows who reports to whom. And so, this is a typical organizational chart. And just, just like I was just talking about, we'll continue to use uh, this college as an example. So at the top, we have a president, and there's actually a box above that. We have the board of trustees, and the board of trustees actually has an invisible box above that, which is the community that helps choose that board of trustees to represent the college. And that, why don't we have a board of trustees that would be above the president or CEO of a company? The reason is, is because if that president or CEO is doing things that are outside of the interest of the organization or company, the board can step in and say, look, we, we, we liked you when you, we hired you, but for some reason you're not doing what we expect you to do, so we're going to fire you and put somebody else in here. So everybody has some accountability. Otherwise, a president or CEO could do whatever they want to do with no accountability. And so underneath a presidential structure, you could have a number of different types of manager A, B, and C, but sometimes you have vice presidents, and there's different types of those. But for Manager A is in production in this example, you have Manager B doing marketing and Manager C doing finance. We have those same structures here on this campus, uh, just a little bit different flavor. And then you have frontline managers. So this is a very somewhat flat organizational chart. I mean, it's not very high in structure. We'll look at a, a different model in a minute. But <clears throat> there's only one layer of management between the first line workers 
and the president. Some organizations have literally dozens of management layers. Uh, when I was at Walmart, I was an assistant manager. I had a co-manager and a store manager. Then that store manager had a district manager. They later became rebranded as market managers. The market manager had divisional managers or regional managers. Regional had divisional. Divisionals reported to vice presidents. Vice presidents reported to the president. So multi-layer stacks of management yeah, that, that was in that organization. All right. So this leads to what is known as bureaucracy. Has anybody ever heard the expression red tape? You've never heard about red tape? You, you will hear about red tape. So bureaucracy is an organization with many layers of managers who set rules and regulations and oversee all decisions. It can take weeks or months for individual, uh, for information to pass down to lower level employees. Bureaucracies can annoy customers. Some companies are reorganizing to let employees make decisions to please customers. So bureaucracy, AKA red tape, red tape means that it takes a long time to get through something or for information or for change to happen. Um, a lot of state-ran organizations are, have a bureaucratic uh, format to them. Large, large companies are bureaucratic, meaning that a lot of people have to weigh in on something before change happens. And, and you, you have to consider so many different things. If we make this change, what are the unintended consequences? What are the unintended costs that, can, that, are, that could happen to us? So there's a reason why it's slow moving. The reason why it's slow moving is to give more time for people to vet if this decision is the right decision. Nobody wants to misstep. Nobody wants to do anything that's going to cost the company more money. And so by having bureaucracies in place, we take the time to make sure we're doing it right. We, make, we take time to make sure that we've investigated it properly to ensure that we're not misstepping. The frustration with it, though, is if you're trying to accomplish something, it can take a long time to get there. And so, you know, we, we, we want to, right now, as an example, the state of North Carolina is just uh, getting around to passing a budget. The fiscal year, when I say fiscal, I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about fiscal as in financial. Uh, fiscal, F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscal. Um, the budget was supposed to be passed prior to July 1 so we could know what's going on for this fiscal year. However, it's October, and we're just getting around to it. And so that is bureaucracy, you know, where we have uh, this back and forth trying to find out, figure out how we're going to allocate resources. And so a couple of things to consider when structuring organization is the degree of centralization. The larger an organization gets, the more centralized they need to be, meaning that decisions are made uh, at a central point or decisions are made <clears throat> from a organizational head. Why do you think that is? You have large, like if you go to McDonald's, McDonald's here, McDonald's in Florida, McDonald's in Alaska, McNuggets are basically the same thing. That consistency is because they have a high degree of centralization. <clears throat> they, have, they have processes that are down, it's an exact science of how to process this food, how to make these chicken McNuggets, and they accept no substitute. This is what we're doing. Walmart's the same way. Um, if you walk into a, a, a half dozen Walmarts around this state and a couple of states, you're going to see a lot of consistency or patterns between them. <clears throat> That's because Walmart has a high degree of centralization. All these decisions come out of Bentonville, Arkansas, and uh, it keeps the company consistent so the consumer can have an expectation of what that experience is going to be 
or they go to try to buy products and services. But <clears throat> the smaller a company is, you can have higher degrees of decentralization. This is when decision-making authority is delegated to lower-level managers more familiar with local conditions than headquarters might could be. <clears throat> um, there's pros and cons to everything in life, and there are pros and cons to centralization and decentralization. One of the biggest cons of decentralization that you might have people in another country or another state telling you how to run your business in North Carolina. And that can be frustrating. When you see things here that you know may not be a win with our consumers, but there may be wins somewhere else. Different consumers in different parts of the world have different preferences. <clears throat> Even different parts of the country have different preferences. So um, there are regional exceptions, like some companies will do promotions in certain regions that they know it would be a bigger success there versus other places. Or they may pilot <coughs> products and ser services in certain regions just because of the consumer mix there. So once again, centralization, the bigger you get, the more control you want to have over decisions, the smaller you are, the easier it is to be decentralized. Questions on anything so far? Comments on anything so far? Nope. All right. So there's a couple uh, other things to talk about when talking about organizational structures. Tall and flat. Tall organizational structures are an organization structure in which a pyramid organization chart <clears throat> would be quite tall because of the various levels of management. Remember, this organization back here was relatively flat. <clears throat> That's because there's only one layer of management between the frontline workers and the president. However, we're going to look at tall structures in a second. Flat organizations, like the one we just looked at, is an organizational structure that has few layers of management and has a broad span of control. This is a very, very flat organization. You've only got one layer of frontline workers and one level of management, the owner-operator. This is your typical small business. You know, somebody opens up a restaurant, they've got workers. <clears throat> very, uh, there's really no need to hire a manager until you get bigger. Then you need a manager to manage the people, and then you can manage the business. Um, but this is what a typical small business starts out. It doesn't start out as a pyramid. It starts out as a very flat organization. Um, so we're going we're gonna to get to that, that pyramid in a second, but we'll talk about a couple of things first. Departmentalization is a way we divide uh, organizations or companies. The dividing of organizational functions into separate units. Workers are grouped by skills and expertise to specialize their skills. <clears throat> and we've already talked about this a little bit, but on this campus, for example, we have several functional groups, financial aid, admissions, instruction, marketing, right, student services. These are functional groups that are departments on this campus, and each department has a specialty. When you go to student services, there's a set of, skill, of services that they offer that they specialize in. When you go to marketing, <clears throat> they have a set of services that they specialize in. And so departmentalization allows for groups of individuals to coordinate with activities that they are specialized to do. So some advantages of departmentalization is that employees develop skills and progress within a department as they master skills. <laughs> the company can achieve economies of scale and employees can coordinate work within the function and top management can easily direct activities. 
Does anybody remember what we said economies of scale is? You might have heard that term because we talked about it here. Economies of scale. Economies of scale basically is where the more that you buy of something, the cheaper it gets. So as we enhance our production capabilities, it costs a lot of money to make one Twinkie per unit. But if we can make a million Twinkies, the cost per unit goes way down, you know. And so we've watched some Shark Tank in the past Need to, bring, need to bring Shark Tank, Shark Tank back, and we'll show a couple of clips in the future. But um, when you hear the early entrepreneurs talking, they'll say, you know, it may cost us $2.32 per unit to make now, but as our buying power increases, our manufacturing capabilities increase, that cost will shrink <clears throat> because some of those set costs or those upfront costs will be locked in, and as they are able to buy things cheaper, that reduces the overall cost per unit. So... Economies of scale, it's a good term to have memorized. So some of the disadvantages of departmentalization, departments may not communicate well. Has anybody heard the term silos? S-I-L-O-S, silos. Silos, like missile silos, they are these single units that hold that missile and departments can become silos in themselves, meaning that they work with the same group of people they communicate with that same group of people, and they don't do a good job of communicating with other groups of people outside of that, that department or that group. What, what do you think the problem with that is if you stay within that silo? That as a company or organization, we need to work together, so if you just respect your own department, that just doesn't help the organization as a whole. Right, so we do the, a college does the same things over and over again. Hey, how are you? We have spring, summer, fall. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Yeah, we have spring, summer, fall. And every spring, summer, fall, we're doing basically the same things again. What's up? Do you have a comment? Okay. Um, and every spring, summer, fall, we have to have those same departments working together in tandem. Like we need a marketing plan to communicate to students when and where everything is happening. We need financial aid to be organized to help students get things together. We need admissions on point. We need student services on point. We need instruction on point to get classes prepared. So we have a machine that's turning every single semester of every single year and doing these functions, but we have to talk together to make sure that everybody's doing what's needed for the whole machine to work. Employees may identify with their department's goals rather than the organization's. Yeah, you know, it's, it's nice that I work here, but I really care about what we do in this department. I don't really care about the grander mission of the organization. That could happen. The company's response to external changes may be slow. Yeah, as you and your own silo and your own department may think, well, we need to be responsive to this thing now. But remember, we have this thing called bureaucracies. What are bureaucracies? Red tape, what do we say that was? Many layers of management, and it's like, if you, if, let's imagine we have seven managers above me, okay? Angel asked me a question. Hey, can we do this? I don't know. I need to ask my manager. Manager number two says, I don't know. I need to ask my manager. And then it goes all the way up to the top, and that manager says, I don't know. Let me think about it. And then all the way back down, we're thinking about it. And so then you come to me again and ask me a question a couple weeks. 
have you thought about it? I was like, I don't know. Has he thought about it? All the way up, all the way back down. And so, yeah, that bureaucracy, you having to get through everybody's individual silo and everybody's individual filter <clears throat> to make what you care about matter to them. And so I'll be real with you. Like some of my concerns are we've had great enrollment growth. I'm glad you guys are here. But in order to sustain that growth, we need faculty, staff, and resources, more students. We need more teachers. We need more staff. And so as a manager myself, I want to be able to hire enough people to accommodate all the classes that we need to offer. And so I've been communicating with my boss, who's been communicating with his boss and the president, <clears throat> that we need to be prepared for fall 24 right now. We need to start thinking about what next fall is going to look like, because it'll be here before you know it. Um, and if we don't have those resources in place, you run into organizational friction, where you've got people doing more than they feel like they're able to do, and at least a frustration on the student's part. You guys are our customers, even though that's not language that we like to use, but it's a true, true statement. You're here to get a service from this institution. So that being said, we want to make sure that we offer the best service possible. In order to do that, you've got to have the correct amount of staff, correct? So that being said, these are concerns that we have now and we communicate so that we can make sure that we're doing the best possible job we can. Um, people may not be trained to take different managerial responsibilities. Instead, they become specialists and department members may engage in groupthink and may need outside input. We've probably mentioned groupthink in here before. I think we have. What is groupthink? Does anybody have any idea? Hive mind? Who said, you said that or Logan? Logan, that's you? Okay. What is hive mind? What do you mean by that? Right. What often happens in groupthink is Let's say we all, there's, there's a problem that we have. And then Gracie says, this is the solution. And then we all think, okay, well, there's a solution on the table. You know what? I really don't care that much about this problem anyway. So let's just go with whatever Gracie says. Well, that's groupthink. That's where we just, somebody throws something out there and everybody says, yeah, let's do that. And we don't really scrutinize that decision process. We just kind of gravitate toward that direction. There's actually a film that you might have seen in high school called 12 Angry Men. Anybody seen 12 Angry Men? You saw it? Mm -hmm. What was the story, basically? Uh, there was a boy. There was a long time ago. I got you. There's no pressure. This is just for your final grade. Go. <laughs> uh, a boy was charged with murder. Yep. And, um, he was originally going to be found guilty. But one guy, like, missed the Probably, yeah. So the story was 11 of the jurors thought this guy was guilty because groupthink had set in. You know, I'm, I'm ready to get home. This guy's guilty. Obviously he's guilty. Let's convict. Let's move on. One juror held out and said, no, you know, let's look at the, let's look at the science. Let's look at the data. Let's look at the facts. And was able to turn the whole group around, you know. And I believe the guy was innocent, you know. It, it turned out he didn't even do the crime, so... Yeah, we want to, and groupthink is such a, it's, it's a phenomenon that happens more than we think it does. Um, they're like, the social media, I don't want to get off on a pedestal here but for our soapbox, but I'll just say for a minute, I think hundreds of years from now, scientists will study humans at this, at this time and realize how 
much social media influ- influences our, our thoughts and actions, you know, and, and the way we perceive the world, you know. Um, they've already done some studies and shown some impacts that it has on different populations. So, uh, and the crazy thing is that we're not even fully aware of the impact. There's a lot of unintended consequences to come. And so now the conversation is, how is AI going to impact us? And what unintended consequences are going to there be from that? Um, could AI become self-aware and over multiple decades influence us to be docile, to not care about things, to be disconnected from each other, and basically subjugate us to serve it? I'm not trying to be doomsday. I'm just, you know, throwing out some uh, apocalyptic stuff, you know. Happy Thursday, everybody. So, um, yeah, but groupthink, it happens a lot. And so there's nothing wrong with being a skeptic. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. I feel like I get into trouble in a good way by being a skeptic. I was at a meeting last night. My church wants to open up a child care center. And um, according to the folks that are working on the project, it's going to take $20,000, okay? No problem. We've got the money. But they haven't done, they've done some research and legwork, but they haven't done enough. They don't know what the numbers are going to look like for the first year. I, I started asking questions like, tell me what the, the bank account is going to look like in a year from now. Um, they, they say they're going to bring in 14400 a month. When we started breaking that down, 65% of money is going to go to payroll, okay? It ended up leaving $228 a day of in the green after we paid, paid just the people. So now you've got to feed the kids. You've got to buy all the other supplies, diapers and whatnot, <clears throat> on $228. Uh, it ends up being something like $14 a day per kid that you're bringing in after you pay all the labor. <clears throat> and so $14 a day, can we feed a kid two meals, a snack, and any supplies that kid might need? I don't know. I don't know. The answer is I don't know. And so the, the question is we need to figure these things out before we commit to opening a business, nonprofit or for-profit. And so being a skeptic, Sometimes may seem like you're being the bad guy, but you're trying to prevent a misstep from happening. Um, we were talking about colleges, Diamond, and you were talking about different colleges you want to go to. I would be very skeptical of every one of them. When I say skeptic, I don't mean negative. I mean critical. Meaning you want to find out exactly which one has what you want because that's a big life choice, you know, like picking a major. I would be interviewing people that have careers in that and finding out, is this really what I want to do? My boss took some my C, CTLA students to uh, applied engineering down the street here and introduced them to what that is. And we had a few people want to switch their majors to that because they had never explored it. So being a skeptic doesn't mean that you're being negative. It means you're being critical. You're asking questions. And so it's very healthy for, your, uh, for intellectual and scholarship uh, to, to be a skeptic. So I'll get off my soapbox. All right. So looking for alternative ways to departmentalize, departmentalize, instead of by function, you can do it by product, or by function, you do it by customer group, by geographic location, by process. Some firms use a combination of departmentalization techniques to create hybrid forms. And so a lot of different ways companies can organize. But here's some examples. By product, you might have a marketing manager that overlooks trade books, textbooks, and technical books. By function, this is what we do here at this college. You have a president. We don't have production, but I would switch this to uh, academics or instruction. So instruction, marketing, finance, 
HR and accounting, and so or the business office. So that is a by function departmentalization process. By customer group, um, consumers, commercial use, manufacturers, institutions, geographic location. We've got Canada, we've got Japan, Europe, and Korea. And by process, we've got cutters, dyers, and stitchers. My brother-in-law works for Guilford East. They make the fabric that goes in car liners, and this is what they do production. And so um, they've got different departments to do different things there. So, so do we understand departmentalization pretty good now? Okay, pull out your pencils for a pop quiz. I'm kidding. So, <laughs> somebody's somebody's like blood pressure like tick for just a second. I'm sorry. So, happy Halloween. All right. So, a couple other things we want to know about organizational models. There's this thing called a line organization. It has a direct two-way lines of responsibility, authority and communication running from the top to the bottom with all people reporting to only one supervisor. There are no specialists or legal, accounting, human resource, or information technology departments. Line managers issue orders, enforce discipline, and adjust the organization to its changes. <clears throat> so in the line and staff organization, there's a, a line personnel, the employee, employees who are part of the chain of command that is responsible for achieving organizational goals, have authority to make policy decisions. <coughs> a staff person is employee who, uh, employees who advise and assist line personnel in meeting their goals. Includes market research, legal advising, IT, and human resource management. I thought we had a diagram. Here we go. So, <coughs> sample line and staff organization. As you can see, this is a little different um, way to organize over your typical hierarchy. You've got a chief executive officer at the top. You have dotted lines of HR connecting several different aspects of the business, legal, marketing, and the plant manager. Plant manager is the person that's responsible for the production. It's a couple supervisors and assembly line workers. So a little, like I said, a little different take on a way to organize good for production. And then we get to the matrix organization. Da, 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 da. Matrix is, did I just do that? Da, 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 da. Okay. Just. My, my kids, I can see my kids in the back room cringing right now. It's like, Dad, you're being especially cringy today. It's because the lights are off. That's what it is. So. But the matrix is specialists from different parts of the organization are brought together to work on specific projects but still remain part of the line of staff structure. So emphasis on product development, creativity, special projects, rapid communication, and interdepartmental teamwork. Matrixes are formed for short term for the most part, meaning that you still have your typical organizational structure, but there might be a special project that the organization wants to work on, and they bring you into that. So this is an example of what matrix would look like. And I don't prefer, I don't like matrixes because they're hard to understand, they're hard to wrap your head around. And it leads to people reporting to more than one individual. So if I come to work and my boss tells me to do something, but my supervisor in the matrix tells me to do something, what do I do? <clears throat> so yeah, but it can work, it does work, but it just takes a unique group of individuals to make it work. All right, so some advantages and disadvantages of matrix. The advantage is that managers have flexibility in assigning people to projects. Inter-organizational cooperation and teamwork is encouraged. So one of the big advantages is that we can work with people from outside of our silo. That seems like it would be a good thing. But do you think employees think that's always a good thing? 
<clears throat> Why would employees push back on that? People don't like change. And they like, whether they realize it or not, they like the routine of knowing what their day's going to be. And when you disrupt that, you introduce this unknown element. And the unknown is what people fear. It's not that people don't like change. They don't like unknown. Because that's an X factor that they haven't accounted for. And as long as they can come to their desk and do their normal routine job and have an expectation of what their day's going to be like, they're comfortable. But anytime you take them out of that element and make them do something else, they complain. And I'm going to pick on my wife for a second. She's, she's not going to listen to this, so she's not going to be mad. But my wife, um, she works insurance and billing at a medical clinic. And every once in a while, they'll pull her out of that and put her at the front desk where she's got to check in patients because somebody's sick or called out or whatever reason. And every time that happens, she's mad about it. She's upset. It's like, oh, I came to do my job. I'm supposed to be doing insurance and billing. I got this, this, I got this to do. I got that to do. Yeah, they got me on the front desk checking in patients. So it's like that with almost anything. You know, if you're coming to work and you have an expectation of what you need to be doing, like coming up on October 30th, we have a CCP advising day. Is anybody into your CCP? Gracie, I'm picking on you now. Garrett, picking on you. All right, do you know about the thing that's happened on the 24th and the 30th for CCP advising at the TARP Center? Have you heard about this? Not surprised, but um, <laughs> not, not, not you that I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised it hasn't, not surprised it hasn't gone out yet. So that's a double, double negative. In any case, we are supposed to go over there on the 24th and 30th to help advise CCP students on the 24th and 30th. Uh, but when we do that, even though I'm fine to advise, it's out of my normal routine. And I probably will be grumpy. I'll be grumbling a little more than usual. So, But, I, you know, that's the funny thing about the stuff I teach is that I'm still inside that quote-unquote matrix as well and experiencing some of these same things we talk about. Um, another advantage, creative solutions to product development problems are produced. Yeah, the thing about silos is that they, lend, they lead to people being stagnant. You're around the same people, the same ideas all the time. When you mix it up with other people, you get new ideas, new perspective. Things, things can kind of percolate differently. And organizational resources are used efficiently. We're going to get the right people together to solve the right problems. The disadvantage is costly and complex. I said that right out of the gate that it was complex, but it is costly because why do you think it's costly to do a matrix? What you tell me? So, could be hiring more people. What else? So if I bring in Julie to do this one thing for us, and that's what we hired Julie to do, and then I tell Julie, well, I know you work 40 hours a week doing this thing we, we tell you to do, but I'm going to pull you away from that for 5 or 10 hours a week to do on this matrix project. Well, that means that, you know, 25% of her job that she normally would do is not getting done. And if I do that over the course of a month, now it's a whole work week of time that Julie is not committed to doing her primary function. And so that puts whatever Julie did behind, you know. And so that's, that's the cost factor. We're giving up something to get something else. There's only so much pie that we get, you know. Just because we have a matrix doesn't mean we get more time unless we add more time to the clock, but then it's, we're paying more money. If we say we're going to a 50-hour work week to make this matrix happen, you're going to hear a whole lot of grumbling, but you're going to pay a lot more overtime. So um, employees may be confused where their loyalties belong. Do I talk to my boss or do I talk to my supervisor? You know, 
do, you know, what am I doing? You know, that's, that's confusing. Good interpersonal skills and cooperative employees are a must. Yeah, if you've got somebody, if you've got 12 people you've brought together for a matrix and one of them is a negative Nancy or what's the end boy's name? Negative Ned? Just a, yeah, if you've got a negative individual, that's going to, it's going to jack up the other 11. It just does. You guys know what I'm talking about. You can be in a group, right? And it only takes one person that ruins the whole thing, right? Uh, everywhere almost that I've worked, there's been somebody that's just like, ugh. You've been, do you work at Highway 55 now? Do you have somebody that's just like, ugh. I really don't want to work. And like, you cheer, right, when you have a shift that person's not on that shift? Truthfully, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you have that or have had that? Yeah. Like, I used to have, I've had this before. I'm like, thank you. I don't have to work with this person today. Yes. There you go. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, just, I don't have to be around this person today. I'm, I'm happy. So, yeah. But it only takes that one person to jack up the other 20 people you want to be around. So, um, it may only be a temporary solution to a long-term problem. So we're having this issue. We bring a matrix together group to, to fix it, but it may not address the root cause. There's this thing called a root cause analysis. I just want to share with you briefly. Um, a lot of managers look for the Band-Aid approach. The Band-Aid doesn't fix the problem. Um, you know, we got to get to the root cause of whatever the problem is and find out what's real. Like, give you an example of a Band-Aid. So let's say this that, that Kevin is always late to work. And so the manager finally has enough courage to say something to Kevin about it. Kevin, I notice you're late to work a lot. You know, I just want to let you know if you do it again, we're going to write you up. So that's a corrective action. But does that address the root cause? What do you think? Nope. So what? Not really. Why do you say that? Say again? Professional experience. Professional experience, okay. Does anybody else think that just writing up Kevin for being late again, does that fix the problem or does that uh, does that address the root cause of the problem? It doesn't address it at all. It doesn't address it all, right. I mean, it, address, it does address it in, in so much as we're doing something within the organization that is documenting, you know, that this person is absent, but it doesn't get to the root. The root is... Why are you late all the time, Kevin? What is causing you to be late? And we have that conversation of why are you late and determine that the reason Kevin's late is because he has to get a ride from Jesse. That's his only way to work. And we may discover that if we make a shift adjustment for Kevin, we might be able to avoid this, this tardiness issue that he's having. So you want to always find out the why, the root cause of problems, and that will save you a lot of headache and heartache. And this, remember I tell you that almost everything we learn in business can be applied to your personal life. My kids love to fight. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm talking like murder, you know, first degree, premeditated. My, my daughters, they love to like, and now it's spread to my, my middle child and my son. They all love to fight. And I will punish them for fighting. I'll take away their phone. That's the, that's a good one. That, that really just gets them, you know, take the phone away. But I should sit down and go through a root cause analysis with them. 
And I'm going to do that just because we talked about it today and find out why are we fighting? Are you having a bad day? What can we do to make your life better? And do, go from that angle. I know it's going to blow up in my face, but I want to try it because what I'm doing is not working. So, And I'll report back to you guys if that's effective or not. So a little bit of management theory we're going to try in an experiment. So, so a little, another slant on organizational models is cross-functional self-managed teams. This is a group of highly motivated people that do not need management oversight. Groups of employees from different departments who work together on a long-term basis. They help fix the problems of matrix-style teams by establishing long-lived teams. Teams are empowered to make decisions without management approval. <clears throat> you don't see a lot of this at all. Where do you think this would work? This type of team. I have never seen an organization in my career do this. They do exist, though. Teams like this are very effective in organizations that are creative, meaning that, hey, guys, we're a game developer or an app developer. We want you guys to get together every week for one or two hours and talk about what could be next. What could be next? You know, that, that's, that's what we want you to focus on. That's when this kind of stuff works. But... A lot of organizations go back to that bureaucracy. We want to control things. We want to make sure everything is done in a certain way. So going beyond organizational boundaries, cross-functional teams work best when the voice of the customer is heard. Teams that include customers, suppliers, and distributors go beyond organizational boundaries. Yet we actually have something here called advisory committees where we invite students, stakeholders, community members to come offer feedback. Government coordinators may assist in sh uh, sharing market information across national boundaries. All right. Um, so some things you need to have in mind when you're building a team. Have a clear purpose. This is what we're here to do. Communicate the goals. Create and maintain culture, mutual accountability. Be specific instead of vague. And I like to over-communicate. Uh, it can be frustrating sometimes when you communicate and people don't read or listen. I get that. But I like to share it regardless and just, just so, so that I'm not keeping things or not being transparent. Um, but I want to talk about culture for a minute. We've talked about this a little bit. What is culture? When we say that word, what does that mean? Diamond, you, say, you got something maybe? Spot on. It's a shit. Set, not shit. Set, shared belief system, set of values. Okay. You can tell, like, my mind is starting to un unwaver here, unravel. Um, yeah, but this, this belief system that we all have, and the great thing about culture, the interesting thing is that culture, culture is formed no matter what set of group of people that you're in. So I have a group of people that I'm friends with on Facebook. I have never met any of these people in, in person, ever. What happened was um, probably – Seven, eight years ago, somewhere in that time frame, I started listening to a podcast. The guy that did the podcast is out of Illinois, and he had a group page for that podcast. So I went on and liked it. And then, before you know it, I'm starting to talk to some of these people about the things they're interested in. And now we have a culture of that group. And like I said, I've never met. Do you, any of you guys have an online group culture? Yeah? It's cool. I like, and um, years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, I used to sell comic books online. 
more than 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And uh, I was a part of uh, this grading company's forum. And that forum had a very distinct culture. Like there were long-term old timers there that had been there for a very long time before I got there. And they were like the old curmudgeons that knew everything about everything. And then you had the new guys, the noobs that would show up and think they knew everything and didn't know anything. I mean, it's amazing how culture is formed even in a digital space, you know. And this classroom has a culture, you know. And every classroom I'm a part of has, has its own distinct culture because we as individuals make up a part of that culture. And so a couple of things before we wind down today. Benchmarking compares an organizational's practice, processes, and products against the world's best can lead to competitive advantage. If a company can't do it as well as the best, they can outsource it. And so Sam Walton, the Walmart guy, was one of the best in the world at benchmarking. Um, he would go into Kmart and Roses and take notepads and recorders and look at everything that they did well and take it back to Walmart and say, we can do it better. And that's how he kind of outflanked them. Core competencies, those functions that an organization can do as well as or better than any organization in the world. Um, let me ask you guys a question to see what you think. If, I, if we looked at all your strengths and weaknesses personally, and I said, let's do, let's do subjects. That's an easy one. What was your best subject in high school? Go. What was your weakest subject in high school? Mine was, my best was, I would say my best in high school was probably English, and my weakest was probably math. How about you, Logan? Yeah. How about how about you? Um, my strongest was math and weakest was English. So we're reversed. My yeah, my kids, Ava is really good at math. But she's okay at English. But for the longest time her and my middle child were opposite. Like Bella was better at English and not as good as math and then you know, so vice versa. But so how about Garrett, what what was yours? What was your strongest subject in high school? Just hanging in there. That's I, I, I got you. That's cool. Point being, what do parents say when you they get the report card? You know, if if you do good in these subjects, you didn't do good in this one. We're going to focus on what you didn't do good at, right? If you get a CD or F in a subject, most parents are going to say, "Okay, we need to work on that." Right? Does that does that sound familiar? Do you think that's the appropriate course of action? Sounds right. Okay. Does anybody disagree with that philosophy that if you got, let's say you made three A's and a D, do we need to focus on the D subject? What do you think, Logan? Need to focus on the B subject? Say it again. Is it going to be as important in your life? Okay. That, that's interesting. Depends. Yeah, depends on the subject, yeah. A alternative way to think about this is this. I'm gonna turn the light on for a second, so I'm sorry, so you can see it better. And this brings me back to the uh, no class meetings too we'll talk about. Let's use math and English as an example real quick. Yeah, it's bright, I know. Wake up. So five, here's 10, five and zero, five and 10, okay. 
So let's say, um, well, I don't know. I don't need this bottom scale. We'll just do, let's say that you're not great at math. It's math. And it looks like I need help with English myself. So here's your English though, ENG. So the consensus amongst parents, it seems, that we need to work on bridging this gap right here, you know, to make this a little bit better, right? That's what most people would think. And in business, most people would say the same thing. If you're really good at this, you need to focus on this to make that better. But I'm telling you to consider doing this. Because you can be amongst the best in the world at whatever this is, in business and in life. And if you're the best in the world at something, or close to the best in the world at something, or among the best in the world, people show up for that. What's a business that you show up for? They may suck at everything else, but that one thing, man, they're really good at it. Can anybody think of something like that? What is it? Who? Okay, what, 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 do they, what do they suck at? What are they good at? <laughs> yeah, so, but if we were going with that, what could they do to make the sandwiches even better? Yeah? I don't know, put nicotine in them, yeah. Um, what's something else that you might think of that you say, this company, I show up for this, you know? Like, I'll give you an example. I went to Red Robins in the past month. Anybody been to Red Robins? Does anybody love Red Robins? No? No big, not a big fan. There's not, not one local, really. Well, last time I went to Red Robins, they had endless fries. That's their thing, right? That's the one thing that they do well. It's like bottomless fries. Well, guess what they have now is bottomless sides. Not only is it fries, you can get any of our sides. You want some more of this? We'll give you more of that. So it's like side buffet, right? So they took what they were doing with the bottomless side thing, and they just took it up a notch. So... There's something to be said for that. Like if you're, if you're a seven out of ten in in, in English or or literature or writing, yeah. I mean, you could. Why don't you take that up to a nine or ten versus try to improve the other stuff? What if we built our whole educational system like that? Instead of saying to a kid, "You suck at English," you need to like work on that. You know, you need to. What if we just said, "Why don't we just put you in this camp that you and let you focus on what you're really good at?" What do you guys think about that? I don't know. Because the thing, that, well, where I'm going with this too is I don't like kids being marginalized because not every kid is good at every subject. And in our system, our system kind of demands that you be good at every subject, you know. And some kids are not good at science or social studies or math or English, you know what I mean? I failed Latin in high school. F. I had, yeah, I failed Latin. I have an F on my transcript. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't because I couldn't do it, it's because I hated it so much that I failed Latin. You know what I'm talking about? I failed Latin. But that's indicating, you know, I don't need to go, I don't need to go back to Latin and do that again to be, get a B or C. I just need to walk away from it and cut that loose and focus on things that I'm good at. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. I don't, I don't even know. Like, it's, 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 it's ensconced within our language, though, is Latin is the root of a lot of our language, so. No, it was, it was Latin as in Spanish, Latin, French, you know, that's it, so. 
Yeah. That's what. I feel Spanish, but I'm Spanish. So what? You feel Spanish? How does that even work? You speak Spanish, though, right? But but speaking and writing is different, right? No, I don't even speak, read, or write. It's just. It's a commitment thing, right? Is that okay? Got you. Okay. I'm not. No judgment. No judgment. I failed, I actually failed a class at every level. I failed, uh, I, f- I failed statistics in my undergrad cl- class. But <clears throat> what happened with that, quick story, they only had two grades, midterm and final. I got a D on the midterm, and I would have to make a B or better on the final to make a C in the class. You had to have a C. And I just said, I just dropped it. Uh, t- I took the F. <laughs> I came back later and got an A. So I, d- I did pass it. But then in grad school, I took statistics again, and I was working overnights, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., and I was just fried. So I, I failed it again, took it again, got an A. So I can do it. You just – that kind of stuff, I have to be in a different uh, mindset to do that stuff. So, All right, so let's talk about norms, and then we'll get out of here. So some norms we'll talk about. Do your job, but don't produce more than the rest of your group. This is uh, some, some things that people do is the – that you can expect. Don't tell off-color jokes or use profanity. <laughs> Some of you are laughing about that. You know? Yeah. Um, you really need to know your audience. Yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, just you really need to know your audience because you could say something that really offends somebody. And, uh, you know, I think my grandmother cussed like a sailor. Um, I can and will cuss. Um, but I'd pick my audiences, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I'm not going to use certain words around certain audiences. So know your audience, um, you know. But I think within these cultural groups we get into at work, at home, and other places, um, I, I think the language we use shows our level of comfortability with people. So um, be, do be clean and organized at your workstation. Yeah, don't, don't have a sloppy workspace. It, it reflects poorly on you. Don't post anything online you don't want a current or future manager to see. This is essential. I tell my kids because they were born in the internet age that they've basically been on the internet their whole life. And uh, when I was at University of Mount Olive, this has been some years ago now, we had a worker in the office who liked to go out on the weekends and party and drink. I have no judgment for that. I have done my partying and drinking. I don't do that anymore. Not because I have judgment. I'm just tired. I don't, you know, by nine o'clock, I'm going to be chilling, you know, like that's, I'm not, I'm not at the club anymore. But that being said, um, this person would go out, party and drink, and then post pictures of herself partying and drinking on Facebook. And I'm like, well, number one, <clears throat> Mount of College is a Baptist institution. Know your audience. And Baptists say they don't support alcohol, you know. And so, like, that's, that's, not, a good, that's not a good representation of the institution, whether you like it or not. When you work for an organization, you represent that organization 24-7. Even though you're not working all the time, you still are a steward of that organization. And if something bad happens, if you get busted for whatever, they're going to say, hey, this person that works here did this. And, yeah, that's going to happen. So you want to make sure that anything you put online, you wouldn't want it to appear on the front line, front page of your hometown newspaper. So that's a good philosophy to keep in mind. Do respect and help your fellow group members. Don't drink on a job, never at work. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Um, and if there are, I will say this, in professional meetings that you go to, like at conferences, there is drinking. I have been to some of these events. 
But you should know the difference between drinking one to two drinks socially at a meeting versus drinking over the limit and becoming intoxicated. Like that's just that's not that's not smart. Um, yeah, and no matter if you're in a professional setting like this and people are drinking, there's always going to be some that are not. And so they are observing the people that are intoxicated. I went to a birthday party within the past two weeks. It's a friend of my wife's. She was turning 50. We went there, and I was not drinking. My wife wasn't drinking, but everybody else was pretty drunk. And, uh, and if you've ever watched a bunch of people that are drinking, they act really weird. You know, like if you're not drinking too, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I met somebody, and this happened at my, my cousin's wedding I went to this past weekend. I went to the wedding. And my aunt comes up to me and introduces me to me, uh, which is my cousin's best friend with her kids and his wife. And his wife starts hugging everybody at the table. And I'm like, I looked at her, I touched her hand, I said, now who are you? Like, because I'm like, yeah, but, she, you know, she was pretty toasty. So, yeah, that being said, these are just some norms that you want to be aware of and you don't violate these norms because you may inadvertently make somebody feel weird and so you don't want to do that in the workplace okay so this has been a lecture on organizational types and norms questions comments ideas thoughts be working on chapter eight i'm sure the final due date is not due until tomorrow then once again we have that grace period um, next tuesday we will be here in class um, however next thursday we will not uh, well i'm sorry no we will not we're not gonna be here next week i'm glad i looked at the board next tuesday and thursday we're not gonna be here okay so don't come in. I will send an email tomorrow and post in Blackboard of your assignments for next week. Tuesday the 31st, it's on the board. We will be here for Halloween at 3 o'clock. I will post that to remind you guys. And we will probably get out around 4 that day because I have to go trick-or-treating. Yay. But uh, that following Thursday, I'll remind you again, we will also not be here because I have two conferences back-to-back to, -back to go to. But you will have assignments, and you will be fine, okay? So questions, comments, anything? All right, I'll see you guys. Appreciate you. Be safe. Have a good weekend.